Would you take your copy of God's Word and open with me to Hebrews chapter 10? Hebrews chapter 10 together this morning. I hope you bring your copy of God's Word. I hope you bring your Bibles. I said it last week, I'll encourage you again, young people, bring your Bibles. Old people, bring your Bibles. Everybody in between, bring your Bibles, okay? Let's go to God's Word. We're looking at Hebrews chapter 10 this morning as we continue in our studies in, in this wonderful book of Hebrews. This has been so encouraging to me and challenging to me. I hope it's been encouraging and challenging to you as well. God's Word feeds us when we humbly put ourselves before it and under it, and I hope we do that today. I want to ask you to think about this question with me as we go to Hebrews 10 this morning. And this is a serious question. It's a question that the world we live in thinks they have the answer to, and I would ask it this way, what's the risk of rejecting God's Word? What's the risk of rejecting God's Word? Many of us know what it is. Many of us know what the risk is of rejecting God's Word because we know what the Bible teaches. We know what the Bible says about those who do not believe the Word of God and who do not trust in the Lord Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. We know that for people who reject the good news, who reject God's Word, there's a serious price to pay. For the world around us, the question of what risk is there in rejecting God's Word is a a serious one. It's an important one. It's one they may not even care to answer, but we need to be concerned about it, and we need to be concerned about it for their sake, that they be concerned about considering this. If you reject God's Word, if you reject the Gospel, if you reject God's Son, the Lord Jesus Christ which His Word is all about, there's a huge risk. And obviously, many people are very little concerned because they believe there's no risk. I spoke to one of my neighbors here recently, and she was talking about her church, and she knew that I'm a minister, and and she said, but we're all the same. It doesn't matter, you know, where you go and what you believe. And I said, you know, know, it's not true. It does matter what you believe. It does matter what your church believes. It does matter what whether that church that you attend believes in God's Word and believes whether this is what, what God commands us to do as we see in His Word that we must trust in and believe in the Lord Jesus Christ to be saved and forgiven our sins. So what about the person who hears the truth of the Gospel What about the one who understands the message of the Word as it's explained to them, the Word of God? What about the one that hears that Jesus died for sinners, that all who trust in Him are forgiven their sins and saved? What about that one who hears all that and rejects that message and rejects the Lord Jesus Christ and rejects God's Word? What's the risk? What's the risk? In Hebrews chapter 10 this morning, beginning at verse 26, the writer addresses the issue of what the risk is of rejecting God's Word, of rejecting the Gospel, rejecting the Lord Jesus Christ. And we're going to hear today that the risk in rejecting the one who is better than all is serious and it's eternal. The risk of denying the message of the gospel, the risk of denying Christ is very serious and one that determines one's eternal destiny. 
So let's look at Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 26, and I want you to follow along in your copy of God's Word as I read to the end of the chapter. And again, I'm reading from the ESV, the English Standard Version. As I, as I read, I want you to look for these things. There's two things that we're going to see here. Note the words of warning. They're in verses 26 through 31. Note the words of warning. Actually, Beginning in verse 26 through verse 31, you're going to see these words of warning, and they are sobering. And then, and then you're going to see after verse 31, verse 32 to the end of the chapter, you're going to hear words of encouragement. So there's a very stern warning. Note it as we read, and then we'll consider to whom the warning is given and to whom the encouragement is given. Verse 26, Hebrews chapter 10, 4. For if we go on sinning deliberately after receiving the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins, but a fearful expectation of judgment and a fury of fire that will consume the adversaries. Anyone who has set aside the law of Moses dies without mercy on the evidence of two or three witnesses. How much worse punishment do you think will be deserved by the one who has spurned the Son of God and has profaned the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified and has outraged the Spirit of grace? For we know him who said, Vengeance is mine, I will repay. And again, the Lord will judge his people. And it is a fearful, it is a fearful thing, says verse 31. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of a living God. And verse 32 says, but recall the former days when after you were enlightened, you endured a hard struggle with sufferings, sometimes being publicly exposed to reproach and affliction, and sometimes being partners with those so treated. For you had compassion on those in prison. And you joyfully accepted the plundering of your property since you knew that you yourselves had a better possession and an abiding one. Therefore, do not throw away your confidence which has a great reward. For you have need of endurance so that when you have done the will of God you may receive what is promised for yet a little while and the coming one will come and will not delay but my righteous one shall live by faith, and if he shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure in him. But we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but of those who have faith and preserve their souls. Now there really is one big idea the writer is making in these verses. There's really one big thought here, one big idea. The point of this passage is that because there is no other sacrifice, there is no other sacrifice for sins except that of Christ's sacrifice. It is foolish to seek forgiveness of sins any other way. It is foolish to think that you can earn your own way to salvation any other way than through trusting in Jesus Christ. Choosing to ignore and refusing to accept the forgiveness for sins which Christ's death made possible will result in eternal consequences. The message of our passage this morning is that the death of the Lord Jesus Christ on the cross is the only sacrifice that saves sinners. 
It's the same message found in Acts chapter 4 and verse 12, which says that there is salvation in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. So, to whom is the warning given? This is a sobering warning in these verses 26 through 31. To whom is the warning given? We heard it here, didn't we? We heard the warning, these sobering words. To whom is that warning directed? Is the warning directed to believers? That's an important question. We need to answer that. Is the warning directed to believers? Now, some believers have come to this passage in Hebrews 10 and have been discouraged, I think, unnecessarily because they didn't understand that the point being made here is about those who reject Christ. This is about those who reject Christ. This is about people who, having heard the gospel, say, no, I'm not going to believe. Some have come to this passage, though, and thought that this was speaking of a believer dealing with a sin habit. Now, the fight with sin remains for all believers. For every believer here today, the fight with sin remains. We are still in the fight. If you were with us during the Sunday school hour, you heard Dr. James Merritt, as we watched the video of him, remind us that we, we will be tempted and we will have to fight sin. But God is gracious, isn't He? And He gives us what we need to fight temptation. That is, I love the, the, uh, the answer that Dr. Merritt gives this morning. And if you didn't come to Sunday school, come next week. All right, you're missing out on some encouragement and edification as we meet together for the Sunday school hour. But he says you can fight sin by fleeing sin, right? And that is so important that we hear that. Some have come to this passage and said, well, maybe this is about a believer who is, who is dealing with a sin habit. And that is a serious issue that we should be ready to deal with. And that is a serious issue for believers that, that believers ought to have great hope in, that there is hope for those who deal with habitual sin. And we're and I'm constantly fighting sin, and it seems to be gaining the upper hand of me all the time. But if you think that's what this passage is about, you're going to be discouraged because you'll think that there's no hope for you if you find yourself struggling with a pattern of sin that needs to be broken. A habit of sin is a serious problem. A pattern of sin is a serious problem, but it can be broken with the Word of God at work in you, by the power of the Spirit at work in you, believer. If you're fighting sin, that's a good thing that you're fighting sin. And you're going to be fighting sin as long as you remain on this earth and breathing this air. We need to keep fighting sin. But if you're dealing with a habit of sin, that is a serious problem. And you may need encouragement of your brothers and sisters in Christ in that. You may need their correction, their loving biblical correction. But you absolutely must have God's Word and God's Spirit working in you. And if you're a follower of Christ, that you're, you're fighting sin. That is a serious thing. But that's not the person that this passage is about. This passage is not about the believer who's caught up in some pattern or habit of sin in which he or she needs the encouragement and even godly challenge and correction of other believers and most certainly needs the Word and the Spirit of God to help them overcome and flee the sins that they fight. There is hope for that person. That person definitely needs help and encouragement and may need correction by other godly believers, but this passage is about a different kind of person. 
This passage is about a different kind of person, not a believer. The writer here is specifically warning the individual who has heard the truth of Scripture. This is about the one who has heard the gospel, the truth of the gospel of Christ. This person has heard the truth made plain to them, their need for faith in Christ made plain to them. It's been made clear to them that Jesus sacrificed for sins and faith in Him is the one and only way to being made right with God. And that person, having been given the truth of the gospel, chooses to disbelieve, chooses to say, no, I'm not going to believe that. I'm going to do my own thing. And that person having been given the truth of the gospel, choosing to disbelieve. That person refusing to believe the gospel is whom is the person that this passage is written to. This passage is a warning to that person who has heard the truth and rejects it. Now, for the believer in Christ, there is you need to hear this, there's nothing to fear. For the follower of Christ, we need not fear. There is no need for worry about whether you've received forgiveness for sins. Because if your faith is in Christ, that's finished. Jesus paid it all. He paid for your sins. And through faith in Him, you are forgiven. You are cleansed and you are made new. And you are given the Word of God and the Spirit of God to help you live the life that God wants you to live. See, what this passage is addressing is the intentional and deliberate rejection of the truth. Rejection of the truth is a sin against the truth and as such is a most serious sin against God who gave that truth. And that's why we have this warning in verse 26. For if we go on sinning, look at it again, would you please? Verse 26, for if we go on sinning deliberately... After receiving the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins. And the point here is that if you reject the sacrifice of Christ for your sins, then there is no plan B. There is no other option. If you reject the sacrifice of Christ for your sins, then there is no other option that can make you right with God. You cannot choose your own way. You cannot live your own way apart from God's standard and be right with God. Your eternal destiny hinges on whether or not you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. And if you do not believe God's Word, if you do not trust in Christ, if instead you reject the gospel and instead choose to go it on your own, if you choose to seek your own way to peace with God, you will have none. The point the writer of Hebrews has been making all along for ten chapters is that Jesus is better. Jesus is best, better than all, supreme and superior over everything and all. And to reject Jesus is foolishness. That's the point the writer of Hebrews has been making all along for these ten chapters, that Failing to trust in the one way to being right with God is foolishness. And so the seriousness of refusing to believe in Jesus is made even clearer with the next verse. If you refuse to believe in Jesus, all you have left is reason for fear. 
Look at verse 27 again. Verse 27 says that all that remains for the person who rejects the truth is, look at it, a fearful expectation of judgment and a fury of fire that will consume the adversaries. You see, the consequences for rejecting Christ are serious, and they are eternal. This is God's Word. There is one way to salvation. There is one way to forgiveness of sins. There is one way to being made right with God. There is one way to fellowship with God. There is one way to true joy and peace and contentment, even in the midst of trials and struggles. There is one way, and it is through the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus says in the familiar John 14, 6, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And we should expect no less than God's just judgment if we choose to reject His answer for our sins. If we we choose to reject His Son, we should expect no less than His righteous and just judgment wrath. You see, God's answer for being made right with Him is His Son. It is the Lord Jesus Christ. And if you choose to reject God's answer for your sins, God's answer for being made right with Him, then you can only expect this judgment. There is reason for fear if you're rejecting the gospel. And the writer makes that clear by pointing back to Moses in verses 28 and 29. Look at those again. Verse 28 says, Anyone who has set aside the law of Moses dies without mercy on the evidence of two or three witnesses. Verse 29, How much worse punishment do you think will be deserved by the one who has spurned the Son of God and has profaned the blood of the covenant by which... He was sanctified and has outraged the Spirit of grace. If God's judgment came on those who rejected Him and rejected His commands in the Old Testament and His judgment came on them, how much more serious will the judgment be on those who reject God's answer, the complete and total answer through His Son, the sacrifice of His Son? How much more serious will the judgment be on those who reject the Son? Just think of it. If you reject God's answer for your sins, if you reject His Son, Jesus Christ, you are rejecting God. And you are rejecting His gracious and merciful and and forgiving Spirit. And there's nothing left but God's judgment for the one who rejects Jesus to the end. And just to drive the point home and make this very clear, the writer says in verses 30 and 31, For we know Him who said, Vengeance is mine. This is not ours. Vengeance is not ours. It's what we must remember when we're wrongly treated. We we don't get even. We don't take vengeance. That's not our role. But guess what? God is the judge of all. This is God. Speaking, vengeance is mine. I will repay. And again, the Lord will judge His people. 
verse 31, is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of a living God. Ever hear of Jonathan Edwards' sermon, Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God? That's where this sermon came from, that passage. He, he saw that passage and wrote a stirring sermon, Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God. It's sobering. We, we do have a God who, who is a God of love and mercy, but He is also a God of justice. And He is righteous and holy. And He will not be trifled with. And the world that we live in is going through life playing games, saying, I don't need that truth. That doesn't sound like fun to me. You don't know what you're rejecting. If you have that attitude about the gospel, about His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And so this warning is serious. It is sobering. This was written to a church who among, among the the body of Christ among true believers were people who were being attracted to the faith and were hearing the, the gospel and hearing about the Lord Jesus Christ, and yet they were being tempted to go back to the old ways of Judaism. And the writer of Hebrews is saying, don't do it. You'll be, you'll be rejecting God's answer for your sins, or you'll be rejecting the Lord Jesus Christ. And so he gives this very serious warning, this sobering warning, and it's meant to be very sobering. But I want you to know what comes next. There are words of encouragement to finish up chapter 10. And consider to whom the words of encouragement are given. This is certainly a serious topic. This is a grave warning. But I want you to note how the writer brings words of encouragement to those who believe. To those who believe in Christ. And his encouragement to those who believe is this. Two words. Hold fast. Hold fast. You need to hear that today. I need to hear that today. Hold fast, believer. We see it as we continue in verse 32. And we'll see here the writer points to three ways that we're to hold fast in the Christian life. Three ways that believers should be encouraged as we live the Christian life. With Christ at the center. With Christ at the forefront. Because He is better than all. As we flee sin, right? Flee temptation. First of all, the writer says, hold fast by doing this. Be encouraged by your own experience Be encouraged to not give up. Be encouraged to hold fast and not give up by your own experience. Now, what does he mean by that? He's saying, keep following Christ, take note, hold fast, and recall, remember, go back in your experience with God and His good grace and mercy and recall how God has helped you during many trials and difficulties. Where do I get that? Look at verse 32. But recall the former days when, after you were enlightened, you endured a hard struggle with suffering. With sufferings, verse 33, sometimes being publicly exposed to reproach and affliction and sometimes being partners with those so treated. 
Now, he's not saying recall and mourn and grieve over those things. He's saying recall and look back and think about how God helped you through those things. Recall those former days after you were enlightened. You, note the key word here, you endured. You endured a hard struggle with suffering. And as Christians, you will meet opposition if you live for Christ and stand for the truth of the Word of God. In the culture in which we live, that's becoming more and more apparent all the time and more clear that that's true. If you take a stand for what God's Word says and you say, I must run my business this way. I must run my life this way. Our family's going to worship this way. We're going to serve the Lord this way because of what God's Word says. You will be opposed. You will be opposed if you live for Christ and stand for the truth of the Word of God. Be ready for it. Be prepared for it. That's what God's Word is to help you with. God's Word is given to help you be prepared so that you can endure so that we might endure these hard struggles with suffering and sometimes being publicly exposed to reproach and affliction and sometimes being partners with those so treated. You need to be prepared. God is all about preparing you with His Word and by His Spirit, strengthening you. Will you be persecuted if you stand for the truth and order your life by the Word of God? Yes, you will. You will be. But stand fast, says the writer. Stand fast. Hold fast. Recall the former days. Look at your life and see how God has helped you. Stand fast, says the writer. How? Recall the former days. Look back. In other words, think carefully and look back on how God has helped you endure. He has. He has helped you. He is helping you. Will He not, the God who has been so faithful to give you Salvation from sins through the Lord Jesus Christ, the God who is helping you endure. Will He not remain faithful to you? Oh, yes, He will. He will be faithful to the end. But note this. The writer says, don't only look back. Don't just look back at your experience to remind you to hold fast, but also look ahead. As you hold fast, look back and remember how God has helped you endure, but also look ahead. So second, the writer says, for those who trust in Christ, look how near we are to the reward. Look at it. Look at verses 34 through 37 where the writer is saying, remember as you look back at how God has brought you through past trials and heartache. Remember how He helped you to endure and... Don't forget this. Look to His promise. He has promised you an eternal reward. Look ahead with great hope and confidence. Verse 34, For you had compassion on those in prison, and you joyfully accepted the plundering of your property. How in the world did they do that? As they were facing opposition and being persecuted? How in the world did they do that? Verse 34, Since you knew... That's confidence. Since you knew that you yourselves had a better possession, guess what? There is something better than what you and I have here on earth. 
And that's the eternal possession that we have in Jesus Christ, the forgiveness of sins and eternal life through the Lord Jesus Christ and fellowship with God and peace with God. We have a better possession. Our our struggle is, is that we don't live like we're strangers and aliens on this earth, do we? Yet that's what the Scriptures call believers. Remember, you're aliens here. This is not your home. I'm preparing a place for you, says the Lord Jesus Christ. Praise God. But we live like this is our home and that heaven is an alien place, a place with God, a place with fellowship with God, a place of being right with God and and eternal joy with God, worshiping the one who is God. We think that is alien and strange, don't we? And so, as you know, we gobble up books and movies made by people who supposedly have been there and came back to sell a book and make a movie. And we are blasé about what the Word says about heaven. That should not be so. We should treasure God's Word and what God does tell us about heaven, what He wants us to know about heaven, this side of heaven, He has given us in His Word. And this is how these people in the church who are facing hardship and difficulty and persecution were able to endure. Verse 34, again, since you knew that you yourselves had a better possession and an abiding one, an eternal one. Verse 35, therefore, do not throw away your confidence, which has great reward which has a great reward. Verse 36, For you have need of endurance, so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what is promised. For yet a little while, and the coming one will come and will not delay. You see, believers have in Christ a better possession, an abiding one, an eternal one. Believers have, first of all, believers have God's forgiveness for their sins. And because we have forgiveness of sins, we have fellowship with God through the Lord Jesus Christ. And not just for a temporary time in history. It's for all eternity. We have fellowship with God, paid for, earned by the blood of Christ bought with the blood of God's precious Son, God the Son. And so believers have no reason for fear of God's judgment. But we have every reason for confidence which is founded on Christ. Because those who trust in Christ and remember that He is their all in all, they receive what is promised. They receive forgiveness of sins. They receive eternal life. They receive fellowship with God. And we can sense the urgency of this encouragement for believers to hold fast when we're reminded by verse 37 that we are to be ready for the Lord's return. Did you see it there? Yet a little while, and the coming one will come and will not delay. Yes, every day we're closer to the Lord's return, but no one knows when when the Lord will return. And so 
God compels us in his word to be ready. Treat every day as the last day that we have on earth to share the good news with people who need Christ. Treat every day as the day that God has given you to make the most of for his glory because he is glorious. Be ready. Look ahead. Don't only look back and remember how God has helped you in times past. Look ahead and, re- and, and take great encouragement from the fact that God has promised you eternal reward. And then thirdly, the writer encourages believers to hold fast as they live the Christian life by taking seriously the displeasure of God should they not hold fast. We ought to to take this seriously, that we ought not take lightly God's displeasure with us. Note the last two verses in verses 38 and 39. If we play games as believers, do you think God is pleased with that? Absolutely not. Look at verse 38. But my righteous one shall live by faith, and if he shrinks back, my soul is no pleasure in him. And then I love verse 39. But, I know I've said it before, my favorite word in the Bible, but, because whatever comes after is almost always about God and His glorious, but we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but of those who have faith and preserve their souls. We heard the message this morning again in our Sunday school hour, another testimony from that pilot that was not on one of those planes, that should have been on one of those planes 12, uh, how many years ago? 12 years ago? 14 years ago? Should have been on one of those planes on 9-11. He wants to live for God's glory. It was a sobering message to him, sobering reminder to him that God spared his life that day and he wanted to live every day for God's glory to make the most of every day that God had given him. And we need to think soberly about that as followers of Christ. If you say, I'm a follower of Christ, do you take that seriously? That you might displease the Lord with the way that you use your time that he has entrusted to your care? You might displease the Lord by failing to speak to your neighbor about Christ when he gives you those opportunities. Hold fast to Christ, believer. Remember his his faithfulness to you. Remember his promise of reward to you. And be faithful to God. Then verse 39 reminds believers that they are not numbered among those who shrink back. We ought not be numbered among those who shrink back and lose hope. Believers who are faithful are not among those who disbelieve the promises of God. Believers who trust in the Lord Jesus Christ and have that confidence that their sins are forgiven because Jesus paid it all on the cross for their sins. They are not the ones who shrink back. And the soul of the believer is preserved for all eternity. So how do we keep from shrinking back when trials come? How do we keep from losing hope? How do we hold fast? It's all through Christ. We need to remember this. It's all through Christ. There is forgiveness of sins only because of Christ. There is eternal life and joy and fellowship with God only because of Christ. And it is 
our faith in Him and His Word and His Spirit that will help us hold fast, that will help us remain faithful to the end so that God might say to us, yes, well done, good and faithful servant. And so the warning for you this morning, if you are an unbeliever, maybe you've heard the gospel and you have not trusted in Jesus Christ, you've not confessed to God, yes, I'm a sinner and I need to be saved and I know that Jesus saved, so I believe in Him. Thank you, God, for saving me. Maybe, maybe you've never prayed a, a prayer like that in, in faith before God and you are an unbeliever. As you hear the truths of the gospel today, as you hear this truth about your only hope is through faith in Jesus Christ who paid for your sins, do not reject Jesus. Do not reject the gospel, the good news, the truth of God's Word. The Lord Jesus Christ is your only hope. He is your only hope of forgiveness of sins. He is your only hope for true joy and peace, that thing that you long for in this world. You cannot find at every turn. You're not finding it because your faith is not in Jesus Christ. He is your only hope for true joy and peace. It is found only through being made right with God. Believe in, trust in Christ and be saved. You can do that today. You can do that in this moment in time as you sit where you are talking to God in the silence of your own heart before Him, recognizing your need of a Savior and thanking Him for the Lord Jesus Christ and for His forgiveness for your sins, you can do that now. I would love to talk to you. If you're an unbeliever and you need to know more, I would love to talk to you. It would be a huge privilege for me to be able to talk to you about how you can know Christ personally and trust in Him as your Savior. Don't delay. And believer follower of Christ, the question for you to consider this morning is whether or not you're seeking the Lord's help and encouragement to hold fast by remembering how God has provided you not only the trial, but the way through it. Provided for you, helped you, given you wisdom for the difficulties are you considering carefully as you look back how much God has helped you and how He has sustained you, how God has provided for you? And, and if you're holding fast as you look ahead, are you considering that as you, as you look ahead to the promises of eternal reward that God has given you? Are you claiming those for yourself? Are you saying, thank you, God, for the promise of eternal reward. I look forward to that day when I'll be in my true home. Are you seeking to please the Lord as you obey His Word? Are you holding fast with your eyes of faith fixed on Christ every day? We need our eye of faith fixed on the Lord Jesus Christ every day. Are you living up to all that God has given you in Christ, believer? Are you choosing to live for Christ every day? Are you holding fast to Christ and His finished work for you on the cross?